0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back again to the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. Producer Lance Glenn standing by as always. And we are going, going to preview this Rutgers-Penn State matchup. Noon kickoff Saturday in Beaver Stadium. It's the regular season finale. It's senior day, but it's kind of sort of not senior day. We're going to talk about kind of that messy situation later, but also giving some props to these guys who who may be on their way out of the program. We're just not quite sure who is on their way out of the program in some cases. Focusing on the matchup like we did last episode with Bobby Darren, who covers these Scarlet Knights for twenty four seven Sports. Check that out for a long look at Rutgers. Our last episode this time, going to look at things more from a Penn State perspective. What do they need to get done to avoid what would be a catastrophic loss in their fifth and sixth contest here against Rutgers? It is a series they have dominated fourteen consecutive wins dating back to nineteen eighty nine. Uh, twenty nine and two all time against these Scarlet Knights, but it's the five and five. Rutgers Scarlet Knights facing the six and four Penn State Nittany Lions. And usually, Sean, their records this stage in the season when they play are not nearly as close in the standings.
0: Yep. I mean, I credit Rutgers. They've gone out and you know, they had those those first three uh non-conference games. Nice win over Syracuse. I mean, looks like a better win over Syracuse now that we've seen Syracuse play, even you just wiped last week against Louisville off the map. But um, you know, credit to Graciano. I mean, you get to bowl eligibility that's kind of statue level there for what he took over and where he's at in the rebuild I still don't think it's particularly good football team I mean you got one end of the spectrum at six and four and the other end at five and five and that's kind of how that that swings so maybe not as close as it says um but it's it's November it's anything can happen Rutgers has played Penn State traditionally tougher than most opponents uh not sure what goes into that from from either side to be honest with you if you're wondering if Rutgers um you know Pumps this one up. You know, we've seen that in the past where, you know, this is uh, kind of the Super Bowl type mentality. And then the other side, you see Penn State and they see Rutgers and maybe don't uh, put forth their best uh, their best effort. But I think they're going to need it. And we saw last night at practice that um, as we went in looking for offensive line combinations, we went in looking for some special things. And then we found nothing because those guys weren't there. And Penn State's dealing with a little bit of an issue right now.
1: It's turned into quite an eventful midweek here on campus since we last spoke to our audience, what, uh, yesterday morning, on, on Wednesday morning we recorded yet several starters, not on, not on the, on the field when Penn state was, you know, involved in their normal practice routine that we get a glimpse of for about 15, 20 minute window or so on Wednesday evenings. And you know, the bookend tackles, Caden Wallace, Rashid Walker, certainly under the microscope after what happened against Michigan, neither of them on the field still no Olu Fashanu that, that predated this this week. and But the development here, and, and of course, the first question you have to ask when you see these guys missing is, you know, what's, the, what's their status? And James Franklin quickly said there is a non-COVID illness uh, that is apparently sweeping through campus a bit right now. It's impacting some players. There's fevers involved. Uh, not sure what that will mean for availability on Saturday. Not sure what that might mean for other players on this roster who between now and Saturday could pick up this thing. Uh, but we do know that they are very light on tackles based on what we saw on the practice field. Uh, Center Mike Miranda, also James Franklin alluded to him being impacted by this illness, although that didn't clear up where he is from an injury standpoint, Sean. Of course, he exited that Michigan game after the second Penn State possession, did not return. Juice Scruggs played center. Bryce Effner played right guard. So a lot still unclear with Mike Miranda. And then defensively, if that's not enough for you, Two catalysts for this group right now, Jesse Luqueta, a defensive end and linebacker, and Ellis Brooks, middle linebacker for this team. Neither of them accounted for on the practice field on Wednesday. We did not get any kind of confirmation about the specifics of why they weren't there, but Franklin said five, six guys affected by um, this non-COVID illness, and this is five, six guys we're talking about, and obviously their absences are going to pop up because these are first-team members of this program.
0: Yeah. The math checks out there. Um, the good news is you've, you've got guys that have played a lot of football, you know, a lot of experienced guys. So missing a Wednesday practice, Tuesday practice, something like that, isn't going to be the, the end of things, but you still have to adjust. You still have to figure out what's going on, um, with those, those units, because when you, you know, it's, it's, Okay to miss some guys across the roster, but when you stack guys at positions um, that aren't going to play or aren't going to practice or whatever, then you've got some scrambling to do. That, that offensive line, I'm going off in memory here, Bryce Efner playing left tackle, Eric Wilson playing left guard, uh, Juice Scruggs playing at center. Des Holmes, who we haven't spoken about in a long time, playing right guard. Uh, and then Landon Tangwall playing right tackle. Uh, th- there's a lot of mixing and matching there. Jimmy Christ was in there quite a bit. Uh, Nick Dawkins in there a little bit, a little Golden Achumba. So those numbers, uh, you take three guys out of the equation. I know Penn State's offensive line hasn't been good and, and clo- or close to it, but you take three guys out of the equation, and, and it gets thin really fast.
1: We have not been used to seeing Jimmy Christ. Or uh, Ibrahim Traore, you know, with the varsity guys in practice, they they were there, and and that kind of tells you where it was right now at tackle. Landon Tengwall, it's just you know the first appearance. A lot of people are pushing for it. Uh, you, you see some clamoring on social media for, for Landon Tengwall to get in some in some game action. James Franklin has repeatedly said he'd like to see Landon Tengwall and get that experience, and obviously the way the offensive line has performed when your top-rated recruit from the preceding class was an offensive lineman, you're kind of wondering, like, what is, what am I missing here? Why isn't he on the field? Why isn't he getting his snaps? He's got no games played, so he can be involved the rest of the way in your game plan and still preserve that freshman eligibility going into next year. And I think the key thing here is... Bryce Effner, if a tackle is missing, and I don't want to read too far into a midweek absence on on the practice field. We did get Caden Wallace on Tuesday for a phone call. We also had Jesse Lucchetta for a Tuesday phone call. So this is something that that seemingly popped up for them pretty close to Wednesday's practice. But if you are working uh, in a situation where Bryce Effner's got to play tackle and Mike Miranda's maybe not available, then that creates a whole different scenario because, like you said, Des Holmes, who has not played much, he's a veteran on this team, but he has not gotten action. You know, to, to to all of a sudden step up and start for you, that's asking a lot. And then I think, man, middle linebacker. I have faith we're going to see these guys out there. But this is one if you want to talk about a slippery slope. Who's your backup at middle linebacker behind Ellis Brooks? Is Jesse Lucchetta. Who else is in that mix? Maybe you shuffle things. Maybe and get Sutherland involved as a linebacker and shuffle up that group or. If you got to look down to a younger player, Kobe King is at that four-game threshold. He's a box linebacker, and I don't think they want to push him to number five and burn a red shirt. And you've also got Tyler Elston there. But, look, hopefully we don't have have this conversation, but it's going to be worth getting the binoculars out during pregame on Saturday because this is a very unique circumstance when all of a sudden on both sides of the ball, some of your most important players aren't out there practicing.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you want to keep that red shirt on Kobe King. I think that's something we've talked about a, a couple of times this season. Uh, you've got, you know, last night we saw Curtis Jacobs in the box, taking reps, uh, moving Sutherland around, doing some things, just to, trying to get creative. Uh, you've got an extra game for Jamari Budden. Maybe he he's a guy that gets, uh, you know, a little bit of run out there. Tyler Ellison, as you mentioned, I would like to see, what Tyler Elston can bring to the table, Charlie catcher still out there as well. Um, so you, you've got a bunch of guys that you can throw in there, but you're just not as confident in that first as that first group of linebackers, which is obvious. I mean, let's be honest here. They've, they've played pretty well as a group. Um, you know, and I think the the bar from the ones to the twos is, you know, it's, 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 decent gap so um we'll see what happens with there but yeah you're treading on on or walking on thin ice there if you if you stack up too many of those guys and it's just uh it's tough because you're at the same position and and then all of a sudden you don't have many options i go back to offensive tackle um you you mentioned we saw jimmy chris last night by far the most we've seen jimmy chris um out there taking reps fairly impressed with where he's at in terms of my expectations. I still don't think he's ready to be thrown into a game or anything like that, or he's not he's still a very large job. human.
1: He looks larger like than I'm larger than last time we saw
0: him. I said this on the board. He looks just like Will fries. He's wearing 71 yesterday and I we saw him that, from yeah. the back most of the time. And he's still got work to do building upper body and lower body, but he's a, such a huge frame. Um, you know, as is Ibrahim Traori, but Traori's clearly not ready for game for game action right now. So, um, you know, you, you might have to, uh, bandage it up and and try and patch patchwork your way through it but um you know i think it's to the point where tengwall is going to be a guy that you have to start featuring at some point so maybe that's uh maybe that's maybe this is finally the week
1: Continuing to talk about depth here as Penn State prepares for game number 11, Christian Veiu currently Penn State's QB2, and I say currently because James Franklin was quick to note they are doing a week-to-week analysis and evaluation of him and Taquan Roberson, determining who that QB2 is, but. We saw it last week in Beaver Stadium, Sean. He was getting that work behind Sean Clifford as a second-team quarterback in pregame warm-ups, something I asked about on the practice field yesterday. And for this game at least against Rutgers, that's going to remain the case for Christian Veyu who is 28 months younger than any other scholarship quarterback on this roster. I thought that's pretty notable. You don't see a lot of gaps like that in quarterback rooms across college football. We know what's ahead of him, Sean Clifford. With a six-year available to him at the college level, Taquan Roberson now seemingly demoted to the number three quarterback spot. You got to wonder where he is through year three of his college career, although he's still a freshman in terms of eligibility, sophomore next year. And then what's coming behind Veyu, uh, uh, of of course, is Bo Prabula and Drew Aller. So a uh, lot to sort through. This is a room in transition, but there's been a move. There's some movement here in November, and, and Christian is now the guy behind Clifford. Who was banged up and and as Franklin termed it, beat up by Michigan last week. And we got to keep a close eye on how he looks early in this matchup.
0: Well, I mean, I think everybody's gonna default and say that this is Roberson losing the job. But, you know, kudos to to, to Vayu for coming in or Vayair, whatever he's gonna say it next I time. I used both just uh, now, so maybe if he just starts like he we'll find out the accurate <laughs> pronunciation. Um, yeah. but you know, to his credit, he's come along, he's he's stuck with it and he's done a really nice job of you know, just looking out there, him throwing the football looks a little bit different than than Roberson. Um, uh, you know, just not as not as much effort going into it, and that's a good thing. So I'm um, I'm excited to see, you know, if they do Build up a lead or something like that, and you can get him out there. I'm excited to see his first action because he's one of those guys that you mentioned could play every game from here on out, and it wouldn't matter for his uh his for his eligibility status. So, uh, kudos to him. I still think it's it's going to be a situation where Roberson evaluates where he's at at the end of the year, and you know, take that however you wish, and um and th- and then you got to figure out that quarterback room, Clifford. You know, you could, you could make arguments for both sides on that one. Um, but Christian has, has put himself in a position quietly to, uh, you know, to, to to see some time, or at least factor in. I know everybody thinks that Drew Aller is just going to come in and take the job or prabula is right there, but there's a little bit of talent in, in, uh, in, in Christian as well. And for a guy that hasn't played any football and hasn't taken a game snap since his junior year, second on the depth chart is a pretty good place to be.
1: When you think about where – the conversation was with his path for year one at Penn State, Sean, when we had him on around Christmas time last year, just before he enrolled. Nothing like this. It was nothing like this. This is before that you saw a couple quarterbacks leave the program. It was before Penn State didn't follow that up by bringing somebody on board. Um, So things changed in a big way in the quarterback room. The numbers got smaller. We thought Christian was going to really be the scout team quarterback. That's kind of what I saw. And wow, he's going to provide a nice threat for your first team defense. He's got some wheels. He's got a whip. But it called into action right away as your QB three all the way into September. Penn State's coaching staff wasn't willing to say that Taquan Roberson was their primary backup. and And now here he is at the end, one play away from getting in there. And we'll talk about the Rutgers game in a moment. I don't think it's going to be the kind of game where you get comfortable enough to send him out there. But if you do get to the point where you have that kind of a cushion against Rutgers, it is absolutely imperative, I think, for this Penn State staff to get a look at Christian Veiu in game action as much as they possibly can. Because you go to Michigan State next week, I don't think it's going to happen. Bowl practices are great. you love to rack up those practices. It's a great thing that, that you gain for young players, even if they're not going to play in the bowl. But game experience will be big. And I think this Penn State staff has seen a lot uh, You know, this year glaringly what it's like when you got to rely on someone who you just haven't had a look at and you don't trust what you're seeing on the practice field it's fine it's hard to come up uh and and feel like you've got the confidence to send that guy out and and play what you need at that offensive position
0: the trigger man well it's imperative that you get a win so that's number 1 and obviously that goes yeah. without saying in your statement but yeah it'd be nice to see him out there um but you're going to go in with regardless the this I guess the same amount of of experience as he would have gotten Otherwise, um, and that's tough to say. I mean, you, you look back to the Roberson situation and you think maybe if he get, you know, you, how was it being phrased at that point? Should have got him in the game earlier um, against Villanova or whomever they were blowing out, Ball State, whatever. Well, last year, Illinois um, was
1: the big critique. He didn't get into the game and, and, and do anything in, in Illinois in a, in a blowout game in the finale.
0: But uh, an extra series here or there isn't right. going to turn that on. I mean, it's not going to change the outcome of, of, of Iowa or anything like that. So I, I, I get where you're coming from, and I, I agree with you. I'd love to see him in there. Um, but uh, being imperative or, or, or whatever is probably not the the way to go. But, yeah, I would love to see him out there. I think he could throw the ball. Um, I think everybody forgets about him in terms of this future quarterback competition that's going to be brewing. Um, and the kid's got some talent. I mean, and, and he deserves, to, d- deserves a chance to show it off.
1: Well, the other reason I say it's imperative is because you got to get Clifford out of there on the sideline and get him as healthy as you possibly can for next week. That's kind of the other the other thing is it's to get Clifford out of there. It's to get those reps. But I think the primary thing is you need a bounce back week in terms of health for Sean Clifford. You can't have Rutgers suddenly find its pass rush against you and, and, and have Sean Clifford get battered again. And We'll talk about that in just a second, um, but we got to figure out hey, what before yeah, we yeah, get yeah, to senior. Sure.
0: Before we get to senior day, a couple of young guys on the defensive line because you were watching quarterbacks, receivers, all that stuff. I was right. over with the linemen. A couple of young guys on the defensive line. Jordan Vandenberg looks looks pretty good. I mean, I I don't know what his his overall ceiling is because he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's got a tremendous motor and everything like that, but really impressed with what he was able to do with with his leverage and his ability to to get in there. He's gotten in there at the end of games this year, which for a guy who's essentially a redshirt freshman that's a pretty good spot to be and You look at what's coming back with defensive tackle, must for aside, you know, you've got some young talent in there. Kaziah Izzard was in there mixing it up yesterday. He's done a nice job coming along. I still don't think he's quite there yet. Devon Ellis and stuff like that. And then on the edge, Zariah Fisher. I think this offseason can be very big for Zariah Fisher in terms of putting on weight and and being a guy that can play and hold up against the run. Because as we talked about um, in one of the episodes this week, defensive end, while you would love to bring in a transfer like AK that could, basically do the same thing, not horrible in terms of depth, not as bad as you would have thought uh, given what's out there. So those two guys I wanted to single out before you you got on, Jordan Vanderberg and Zariah Fisher, because I think this offseason is going be pivotal for them, and I think they can factor in and be in the rotation next year.
1: Fisher got a bunch of work against Maryland a couple weeks ago, speaking with Jesse Lucetta this week, he, who has really taken him under his wing as a former, as a linebacker turned defensive end. Um, and I think there's a lot of similarities between these two and kind of how mother nature has dictated where they belong in this defense. And Lucchetta says, you know, it, next year is, is going to be the next step for him. He's, he's gotten a chance to really uh, play a bigger role than anyone anticipated. I think this season, and, you know, Lucchetta anticipates, he'll benefit by the way, Lucetta clearing it up. If there was any wondering about it, Despite accepting the senior bowl invite, he's going to have a conversation with his support system after this Penn State season about whether he's going to go to the senior bowl and enter in the NFL draft, or if he's going to stick around and take advantage of that extra eligibility. And that leads us to where we are now, Sean, is figuring out what this senior day is. And and we can start with the guys who are truly seniors. There's nothing left in the tank for them in terms of NCAA eligibility. Jaquan Brisker, Tariq Castro-Fields, guys who elected to stay on campus after last year when they could have left as those seniors. Then Derek Tangelo, who came in from Duke, uh, Eric Wilson, who came in from Harvard, and John Lovett, the running back who came in from Baylor. Those are the only guys on this roster right now on scholarship who have no eligibility left in 2022. What a small number.
0: It is a small number, and it's worth noting James Franklin said after practice last night, Castro Fields came off with an injury against Michigan, and that's how you ended up with Johnny Dixon and, and Kalen King going the rest of the way. It, it, it looked like that from the, the rewatch because he, he made a tackle down near the goal line, and he yeah. got up, or he was flat on his back or flat down um, on the field, and he got up very slowly, played one more play, and then came out, which is interesting because Miranda was kind of the same way. Um, you know, he stayed in for the fake field goal, but once the fake field goal went off, it, it looked like he may have gotten hurt to play before. Um, but I don't, don't want to speculate too much on that, but it's kind of the same situation. So interesting. Sean, Sean and Tariq
1: did tell us this week, uh, that, that he expects to play. He's good to go. So that's, right. you know, we'll see. Yeah, that's what he said. He said this week and I know Franklin referenced it yesterday as well.
0: Good. Hope he gets his hand on the ball this weekend. Um, we'll, we'll see. He's been, a, he's been a guy that's been underappreciated. Um, as, I, as I mentioned um, earlier this week, you know, you, you look at him and he's probably had the fourth best year in that secondary, but that secondary has been so good that the fourth best year is still pretty decent year. So um, I think he's helped himself. I'll be interested to see if he gets a senior bowl invite. He had one last year. I know the senior bowl crew really likes to read Castro Field, so I wouldn't be surprised if he was adding his name to that list as well.
1: And then i look through those transfers, Eric Wilson, John Lovett, Derek Tangelo. To me, he uh, got two starters in the trenches from Wilson and Tangelo. I think Tangelo uh, ultimately made more of an impact than I anticipated he would this year um, and, and really help, has held up well with P.J. Must out of the equation. I think you, you've gotten what you could expect from him after that long career at Duke. And then John Lovett, um, this is just one that, barring uh, some late season special moments for him in a Penn State uniform, just a head scratching career. Cause he was not involved early on at all. Didn't travel with the team. And, and then all of a sudden he showed up against Auburn wearing a different number and getting involved late in that game. And all of a sudden he looked like the ascending running back and then it flatlined really quick. And it's just been a lot of missteps in terms of his involvement in the offense and key plays and key drops and just a very puzzling time for him. And it's gotta be difficult him looking at Baylor right now doing so well. He was a leader in that locker room. He led that team in rushing yards three or four years. I, I don't want to pile on the kid, but it just hasn't worked out the way I'm sure he had hoped it would when he made that transition from the Big Twelve to the Big Ten.
0: Man, there was also a a coaching change there during his time at Baylor, so that makes sense in terms of you know if he if you see those guys on their way out at certain schools. Uh, Tangelo, man, uh, what an addition! Just uh, I know he's he's not a guy that's that's the stat sheet guy, but he he hopped on a fumble this week, and you know that could have been the fumble that put Michigan away. Unfortunately for Penn State, it was not, Um, but. That's a that's a great evaluation job out of the portal because you didn't think you needed a defensive tackle, but then all of a sudden this is your only guy that started all 12 games as a defensive tackle for Penn State. So uh, it, it's really – got to tip your hat to Derek Tangelo. He's, he's come in. He's been an uh, amazing part of the locker room, done some really nice things. And I, I don't know what, what his pro career looks like or his pro potential looks like, um, but he certainly made the most of being a one-year guy at, at Penn State. It's just a, it's an awesome story.
1: I had heard from some people down at Duke that we were going to love this guy. And, and we've gotten him a few times over the, he's been awesome. I mean, I wish we had him his entire college career. And when you heard him talk about his opportunity to play at Penn state, a school that he really, really, really wanted to come to coming out of high school and to do it now as a young adult and appreciate it more it was one of the cooler kind of uh uh, just a player putting it all out there about the, their college experience. And I really appreciate his candidness since he, since he came here and he's played a ton of snaps. He has played a ton of snaps going all the way back to that Wisconsin game. And Eric Wilson ended up being going back to the Wisconsin game since then replacing uh, Anthony Wigan in, in the lineup pretty early on in, in Madison. He's, he's the guy the rest of the way at left guard. He has taken some snaps at center early in the year, but, you know, the, a lot of this conversation with Eric Wilson, who, who, we thought was going to end up in the SEC with with Auburn and then maybe LSU. A lot of the conversation with this is going to stem from the loss of Salim Warmly in preseason and how that impacted the guard competition. Uh, but you know, Eric Wilson had his opportunity to come to the Big Ten level, and ultimately he cracked through the starting lineup, and he's been there since.
0: He's he's been there since. I mean, I think it it shows how hard at every level it is to to evaluate offensive linemen because he was awesome at Harvard. He was their Player of the Year or something like that. Um, but you, you get to the Big Ten and you play, you know, against slightly bigger, more athletic competition mm-hmm. and some of those 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 shortcomings in his game, uh, excuse me, some of the shortcomings in his game, short arms, uh, maybe not the most athletic guy out there kind of shows up at times. So he's been, um, you know, it's, it's been a transition for him. He's, he's definitely, yeah. you, you know, you, you tip your hat to him for being a guy that's gone out there and started, what, 10 game or nine games since then. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he's he's putting anybody over being a All Big Ten guy or anything like that. So, uh, what the expectations were for him were to come in and, and be a starter and and figure out where he's at. I think that I think he's lived up to them. But at the same time, I don't know that he's taken that next next step that a lot of people had hoped he would. Especially when you consider who was involved for his services: mm-hmm. Auburn, LSU, some big time schools that that certainly need offensive linemen as well. Um, but kudos to him; he's come in and he's filled He's filled a need for Penn State.
1: And there's not a lot of shine on anybody on this offensive line right now. Let's let's face it. And and if you, you look at you it, saying, it, yeah. What do you say you know, in that I mean,
0: situation? You know,
1: but the situation. I mean, you can talk about Wilson and where his development was, but it's. I think it's more about the offensive line room development because clearly through ten games, Sean, I think they cast Wigan aside in terms of their plans pretty early, and it felt like they've only had six offensive linemen they feel comfortable with playing in close matchups, playing in Big Ten matchups that are hanging in the balance really this entire season, and, and that's where they are, and that's why you've seen so much of Wilson. And to his credit, he, he's he's answered the bell, and he's been the guy, and he, he's he's done the best he can. I mean, that, that's really all you can say. I mean, they just haven't – losing warmly was big, but I think just in general, maybe not the competitive nature you would want, certainly, in, in your offensive line room right now for Penn State in terms of guys surfacing on the field.
0: Yeah, they need to be better. I'll be interested to see, you know, how this sets the expectations uh, for Spencer Rollin coming in for Harvard. A little bit of a different player in terms of he's bigger, he's longer, he's a little bit more athletic. Um, You know, he probably can be a tackle, but can also be a guard. It, I mean it, it it'll be interesting to see where the where the bar is. And he's also got two years to play now. So um I think is probably a little bit higher than Wilson because when you look at a 6'4, 315-pound guard or whatever, um, you know, you you kind of know what to expect there. Uh, but I think probably a little bit more upside with Spencer Rollin and 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 for Penn State's uh, sake, hopefully that's the case.
1: Okay, so that's the group that's leaving. You can cross them off the 2022 possible roster. Everybody else is still in play one way or another. On this roster or another college football roster in 2022, the fifth-year guys here that we're talking about, who normally would be saying goodbye to, to Beaver Stadium, Sean Clifford, Ellis Brooks, John Sutherland, Mike Miranda, Fred Hansard, Cam Sullivan Brown, Dez Holmes, and then the one guy who didn't sign with this team out of high school out of that group, uh, Arnold Abakati, who who has that you know technically junior eligibility, uh, but also part of that fifth-year group. He spent his first four years with the Temple Owls.
0: Yeah. Guys have played a lot of football. I mean, obviously everybody's going to look at Clifford and then on the, the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got AK who came in for one year and just kind of lit the world on fire. Um, But uh, a lot of guys journeyman type guys I guess you would say and guys like Sutherland and Miranda and Sutherland's been a multi-year captain for Penn State Hansford hasn't played much Sullivan Brown hasn't played much Holmes hasn't played as much as we thought he was so guys that have been you know around for a long time and I just you, you've been kind of waiting for some of them to take that next step and, and they haven't Brooks has been a, a multi-year starter. He's had a pretty good season this year um, but uh, it's uh, that that's a group of fifth-year guys that you know have the probably don't have decisions to make outside of Clifford. And I hate saying it uh, like that because uh, you've got a lot of guys that that have been integral parts of the locker room and things like that. But uh, that's kind of kind of where that whole class sits.
1: Um, by the way, another member of that twenty seventeen recruiting class, who you know we say goodbye to as a player, a couple of years or last year, Journey Brown uh, came in with that group, and obviously, I think if he had been able to play last year, he would have already been gone from the program. But I did want to note that he was part of that freshman group that came in twenty seventeen, and uh, oh, you know what a rising star he was
0: during that twenty nineteen season. Just a gut season. punch every time you think about it, man. I Just, know, It uh, sucks. Yeah, sucks, sucks,
1: sucks, yeah. and the, and the list is certainly shorter for those fourth year players. We saw some you know, high-profile transfers from some former five-star, former four-star level players—the early years from this class in 2018—and now, and we, we certainly saw Micah Parsons, O.A. Friermuth leave early, and, and now they're playing NFL football somewhere in the middle. Guys who have played a ton of football, and and these were decisions get a little more. Crucial for Penn State's 2022 plans. Jahan Dotson, enjoy him the next couple of weeks. Uh, Rasheed Walker, you don't think you Jesse, don't think he's coming back? <laughs> uh, <laughs> nope, nope. Rasheed Walker and and uh, Jesse Luchetta and PJ Mustafer. and man, this is this is a group that has played so much football for Penn State football um they were a group that came with this 2018 class that that wanted to be the one that that push penn state up that big 10 ladder a little bit more it hasn't happened but maybe the journey's not done for a couple of these guys
0: well you talked to Lukehead earlier this week he did um, accept the senior bowl invitation, but said he's still got a decision to make in the after after the season. We talked about that in the, on the first episode this week. I'm still on the, the the side that thinks he leaves, but you can make a strong argument you know, based on what you've seen from Dotson, what you've seen uh, from Brisker and, and Castro Fields last year, that he could really help himself by coming back. But I know you know, just judging from the, the, the scouts and stuff, they really like what he can bring to the table, and maybe that's the time to jump. It is a strike while the iron's hot. Mustafer's is the interesting one here, um, you know, playing really well before that injury. And you saw how much that injury meant to that defense as a whole. Um, and you know, as a defensive tackle, does it make sense for him to come back and, and be that guy? I think it could. Um, I, I know Penn state would love for him to come back and that would, that would take care of a lot of, uh, a lot of issues in that, in that front four, uh, for 2022. But, uh, it's, it, it's tough to look at a kid that's been through that and he's played so much football for Penn state and, you know he expected just uh as, as 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 recent as two months ago he expected to be in the nfl next year so it takes a lot to change that uh to change that mindset for a guy like pj muster
1: and he just loves being around this program I mean, we, we've seen him since he was injured uh whether he's on a scooter or on crutches i mean he he loves being around this team there's a reason that that he was a no-brainer no doubt about it team captain selection this year and you talk about the trajectory for him as a pro prospect and where it was halfway through the season and what he stood to gain. It really is tough to see him where he is, but it also leads you to believe, Hey, come back. You've seen the work that it takes to put in. PJ is a guy who's going to duplicate that kind of work. Um, He's got a lot of guys he's close with. He's got some former teammates from high school who are going to be in this defense again in 2022. So maybe there's some things working that, that, you know, and then involving some heartstrings as well. It's not always about the purse strings in these decisions. And I think because he was lost with this injury, that's going to impact his draft stock. It's a very complicated, you know, kind of discussion with PJ. Likewise with Jesse Lucchetta. And I think it's really interesting because unlike a lot of these players, his big moment has come in year four. Now he played a lot of football for Penn State in the preceding three years, ton of linebacker, but his moment has come here as a fourth year player at defensive end, Still showing that ability to to drop back and play Mike linebacker when called upon, but he has flashed up front and and you hear from John Scott, you hear from James Franklin about how far he has come since just September. Remember, no spring football for Lucetta. you know. And, and Franklin though feeling like you know he, that does help his NFL draft stock. While it is intriguing to see maybe come back and build on defensive end. He's got the tape out there. A lot of Big Ten games where he's done a little bit of both and a lot of defensive end. And you know, he said, could he be a three-four outside linebacker, an inside linebacker, maybe in a three four system? Is what Franklin talked about on Wednesday and after practice. So maybe it does make sense. I know Jesse's had an interesting background, and, and, and it's been a long journey for him to get to this point, uh, from Canada through Erie and now and to here. And, and maybe he's ready to make that leap. He is so close with Micah Parsons with OA. He was out with them training last year in California. I know it had to be tough for him to, to, to come back to campus and, and you know, see them go on and make all this money and have their success in some ways. Maybe he's ready to, to try his hand and, and see what he can do in that world.
0: Yeah, it's such a line as a prospect where you're on one side, you could come back and you could refine your skills and you could be a more complete full-time starter, whatever have you. And then the other side, you're like, uh, if if he's doing this now, then imagine what I as a, as an NFL coach could do with him as he continues to realize his potential. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like the OA and Parsons like line or somebody on each side of that fence here. Um, and you can make arguments for, for both of those things. I, I still think that he could refine his game, but at the same time, I can see why he would be coveted. I could see why he's a guy that you maybe take and, and, I don't know, but I don't even know about stashing on a practice squad because we said the same thing about Shaka Tony. Um, and Shaka's playing for Washington now. So, I mean, you've got, uh, you got an opportunity there at a premium position. And that's another thing. You take into account that he could play, uh, four, three, and he could play three, four outside linebacker. He could play three, four inside linebacker. He could just be one of those guys that takes up two or three roster spots and that frees you up elsewhere. So, I think, I think the versatility and the, 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 um, tape that he's been able to put up against Penn state's best competition, playing well against Penn state's best competition is going to aid him in making that decision. And, and I think it's going to push him that way.
1: So I, I you know, think everybody probably that we just mentioned is going to run out there and, and, and have a moment in Beaver stadium. And then they'll have to ref, reflect and they'll have to talk it over with family and, you know, hear what NFL scouts have to say and determine where they want to go from here. And in a lot of cases, a lot of these guys are not going to be going to the NFL and maybe going a different level of college football next year. We've seen that play out, right? I mean, that's, that's happened more often than the NFL stories with, you know, last year we we saw guys take opportunities with other programs. We've seen it with the transfer portal in the past. So, that's, you know, the journey might be over here at Penn State, but you may see these guys pop up at FCS, FBS level.
0: Um, next well, you season, got a, you is- got a former Penn State assistant as a head coach at Old Dominion, one at Marshall. I mean, right. they've there's been guys that, you know, Zach Koontz is, is having a really good year at Old Dominion, and Shane Simmons is playing at Marshall. So, you've got that opportunity, you've got connections all over the place in terms of that stuff. So, it's a matter of how long you want to play football, and, and some of these guys, you know, especially those fifth year guys, it's probably not going to be in the NFL. So maybe you take your shot and, and go elsewhere. And maybe you find yourself in a position where a team is so desperate at certain spots that they will, you know, I, I don't want to keep bringing it back to Antonio Shelton, but Florida's a really good program. And he, he got a chance to maybe because of his experience, because of the amount of football he played and the, the games that he started and everything like that, he, he had a lot of exposure coming out of there and he, he landed at Florida because of it. And you could see one of these guys maybe making the same decision.
1: And meanwhile, Penn State will end up with a, I don't know, 40-ish guy. Half the roster next year are going to be on fresh eligibility because of how things have gone with the NCAA. And Franklin mentioning this week, having Andy Frank, his director of player personnel who we've had on this podcast, having an eye-opening conversation was the way he phrased it with the compliance department about what Penn State and what college football roster uh, shifts are going to look like here in the next couple of years and trying to wonder how the hell do you navigate it?
0: Yeah, in retrospect, it's it's a bad rule. Like it's it's one of those situations, and I, I get why they did it for every kid that has the opportunity. Then you go out and play that season and act like it never happened. I mean, I, I I know you can't do it like this, but for guys at Old Dominion who didn't get that season, give them that season back. But for guys that actually got to play a season, now you're stretching everything thin, and and, it, and it's it's not fair to those kids it's not fair to the people putting together the rosters and and it's really not going to be fair to the kids in the 2022 class who are trying to get those scholarships because the portal mm-hmm. is going to be waterlogged with all these guys looking for for a last chance or something like that and college coaches you saw what uh was at Texas State or um, Texas El Paso didn't take any high school players last year, just added transfers and things like that. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's, it's worked out all that well, cause I can't even remember which program it was. Um, but you're, you're in a situation where you're taking scholarships away from younger guys too. So just in retrospect, and I get, I completely understand why they did it. Um, but that's one of those things that's probably going to, you know, cause waves for a long time and not just in the place where they intended it to, to, uh, to, to be most effective.
1: And not only are you going to have a bunch of freshmen next year, but you're going to have a, a, a significant amount of fourth year sophomores that you're still working through, and fifth year juniors, and it's it's going to take some cycles. It's going to take some years to work through this, and, and there's a lot for the, the term. To out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's yeah. let's get to this game on Saturday. Um, Penn State facing Rutgers. As said, have not fallen to the Scarlet Knights in a long time in this series, uh, twenty nine and two overall. Um, and this is a matchup, Sean, that. Let's face it. It's been a bit of a sleepwalk for Rutgers, whether they've been a a team on the precipice of a New Year's Six Bowl or a team that's, you know, you're you're wondering if they're going to win eight or nine games. It has been a slog of a matchup for them the last three, four, five years um, where where the halftime score is narrower narrower than you think. But Rutgers can't do anything offensively. And at the end of the day, Penn State wins and you walk away thinking, that was not a great football game.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, we've can said. I that sum it up correctly. We said that a lot about Penn State games, not only this year but against Rutgers in the past. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it's been, and I can see that playing out this way this way uh, once again this season um, because you look at Rutgers' offense and it's nothing. Doesn't scare anybody. I mean, they've thrown for over 200 yards three times. Once was against Delaware, and then Ohio State and Michigan State, where they just got pounded and they just decided to air it out. Now they did. They did run the ball well against Illinois and Indiana two out of the last three weeks. Um, but it's not exactly the multi-pronged attack that's going to make Penn State's defense struggle. Um, so that's going to be a situation where Penn State's defense just needs to keep doing what they're doing, and and they should be successful. Again, we don't know what the the personnel is going to look like if guys are. Sick, injured, or or what have you. So maybe the offensive line changes some things for Penn State, or maybe some absences on the offensive line change some things for Penn State. But the offensive line hasn't really been great to start with. So um, I, I don't know how much that really changes some things. So you have it here. Take your shots in the past game. I agree with that. I mean, just get your points when you can get them, and that's not just. And, and I I don't think that I'm talking about getting three points here and there. I think you you know go forward on fourth down in Rutgers territory and and be aggressive and and assert yourself and don't fake field goals and things like that um because if you assert your will up front we know that we, we believe at least based on the anecdotal evidence that we have with both teams that penn state's better up front on both sides of the ball so be that team be that bully and and go with it.
1: We've seen Penn State get aggressive with some play calls on the road of Maryland, certainly last week early, um, you know, some, some of those midfield decisions. And, and so we'll see if that carries over into this matchup for, for Franklin and his staff. You talked earlier when we first came into the show about how, you know, four losses on one side, five losses on the other. Those are close, but the way they got to those losses look a lot different. 18 combined points. It's a margin that we talked about a lot with those Penn State four losses coming by those 18 points. Look, uh, you look at Rutgers. Their losses: fifty-two to three against Wisconsin. They lost by fourteen to Northwestern. They lost by eighteen to Michigan State. They lost by thirty-nine to Ohio State. And then they had a matchup at Michigan where they were down twenty to three, made it a twenty-thirteen game with a strong second half. This is, you know, not a team that has been able to maintain keep themselves in every game. And oftentimes, watching watching Rutgers or looking through the results of these games, it's simply because they cannot match possessions for possessions. Penn State can come out, get the ball moving downfield a bit, and, and I don't care if you—I don't care if you come out of this one already abandoning the run. I think you got to utilize these weapons in the past game. Parker Washington, Jahan Dotson, of course, saying goodbye to Beaver Stadium, um, but to me, Parker Washington may be the key here. Uh, Greg Schiano is going to scheme something up for Jahan Dotson, do his best uh, to at least make him someone who, who's got to get the ball near the line of scrimmage. Um, I think with Parker Washington, that's a very exploitable aspect of, of when you attack Penn State. Him in the slot, and, and to me. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and and while all the focus is on Dotson saying goodbye to Beaver Stadium he goes out there and he actually has the best day of any offensive player in this matchup.
0: Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking the same thing with with Theo Johnson to be honest with you. Mm. Um, the secondary attacks and 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 you know Rutgers has when they've been successful it's because they've taken the ball away. What was it five or six turnovers last week against Indiana and they on turnovers. To... Live on yeah, turnovers. live on turnovers. So uh, protect the football. Um, Clifford's done a pretty good job of that this year. Um, protect Clifford um, as we mentioned three sacks for for Rutgers in Big Ten play this year. Three Three in eight games or whatever, seven, seven or eight games. That's not getting it done from a pressure standpoint. So even though Penn State's offensive line has been pretty bad um, throughout the season, you still think you give yourself a chance to to keep Clifford upright um, to get some of those mid to, to deep shots going. Um, and and to me, you know, Rutgers is going to have to sit back with two safeties and try and keep Dotson and and that offense in front of you. I think Penn State can do the same thing. Just keep it in front of you, and, and if you're Penn State's defense, and you can keep Rutgers in front of you, keep. Uh, P- P- oh, I knew I was going to stumble on his name, Pacheco, uh, the uh, the running back who's pretty good, pretty good player. Um, keep him in front of you, then you, you, you're you're going to be okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, we may have mentioned this early in the week, but if this feels like the opportunity where uh, up front for, for for Penn State's defensive line. you, you need to be able to dominate this game because where there are offensive line issues that we've addressed a lot here on our show, Rutgers has its fair share of problems, and that's really what's going to hold them back in trying to to build themselves up in the Big Ten conferences, getting things sorted out. I think right now on the offensive front, they've got to make improvements in the quarterback play, weapons around him, but they got issues right there right now. So I think about Penn State, if you have Lucetta on the field, we know he's one of those guys maybe dealing with an illness right now, but if he's involved and and you've kind of got your, your full cast of characters up front, I smell another huge game for for Arnold Abakade. Let's start there. I think a multi-sack game that gets him to ten sacks first time in seven years. Any Nittany Line will have done that, but I really think this is a game where you want to see another step forward from uh, from a Devon Ellis and and also from uh, Kaziah Izard. I think he's a big guy. I'm circling here. How does he look today? Because he's really had a ton of reps. I feel like he's gradually taking those steps where you're thinking, okay, he he can be in the conversation next year if you need if you need him as a starter. Right now, can can he go from being an emergency player, which is what he was when he stepped up in October, to finishing the season as someone who's kind of entrenched as as a defensive vocal point up front for you moving forward? This is a nice opportunity against this Rutgers offensive line to kind of test just just how much progress he's made since he got to campus last year.
0: Yeah, and you've got uh, on the other side, you've got Noah Vedral, who uh, has five interceptions to seven touchdowns this year. So he's not a quarterback that's going to scare you. He's a tough kid, and he's done a, a pretty good job of getting them where they need to be. Um, but he's not going to come out and, and try and pick you apart. So I agree with your Katie pick. I think that's a great pick, and I could see a situation where he maybe gets a hit on Vedral, and the ball pops up in the air, and Penn State gets a turnover based off of that something something along that Nate, uh, along those lines. And we know. We, we we know that Penn State was so close to that happening last week against Michigan a couple of times, so I could see that being a situation where the the pass rush really you know just moves from front to back, and and all of a sudden the secondary or some a linebacker or something is benefiting from that. Now I got to finish the play. We've seen that uh, in that secondary, and 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 there have been plays where. Where Penn State had interceptions and and didn't didn't finish them, um and and it's killed them. You lost them in Illinois game essentially. Um, so you got to finish those plays, but I think they'll have the opportunity to to do something funky like that.
1: And this is uh, Rutgers can't afford to 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 lose the field position battle, especially if it's really lopsided against Penn State. It's it's going to run away from them, I think. Uh, but they've got Adam Corsack in in their favor, and and as you heard from Bobby Darren on one Wednesday breaking down the Scarlet Knights, he is their weapon. Like this is he's, the weapon he's good. for for
0: he's like really I think good. I
1: think Penn State has <laughs> players here and there, that I think are, are are can play just about anywhere in the Big Ten. This guy though is their weapon. Uh, you know, this guy for for them, he he can. He can tilt the game if it's close, and and I think the goal is to make Adam Korsak more of a novelty act in this game. If you're Penn State, a guy that fans will enjoy watching and you appreciate good punting, I know you do, but if, if it's a situation where you're trying to win a field position battle in late stages against Rutgers, you're pressing the panic button because Jordan Stout, not necessarily the best punter in a game this time around. We haven't said that much.
0: It's the cradle of punters here. I mean, you talk about uh, uh Adam Korsak. He's been phenomenal, 46.27 yards per punt. I think he le- leads the nation in net punting. So you've got two of the best, I, I don't know, five punters in the nation going at it this weekend. And the last time I think we broke one down, it was that Iowa game where they had and it the, uh, True, you know, And it was And it was an awesome uh, back and forth. So if you're Penn State fans, you're hoping – to see the other guy as much as possible. And you're hoping not to see Jordan Stout in that situation, but these are two phenomenal punters. And as we mentioned before the show, the two guys that probably won't get that Ray guy award because the San Diego state punter. Uh, but these guys have been awesome. It's going to be really interesting to see, not that, you know, this all matters or anything like that. It's going to be really interesting to see how the coaches and the media go about naming it all big 10 punter or the punter of the year or whatever, because there's some really good ones this year and, and Corsacks right up near the top of the list.
1: I'm putting a spotlight real quick on the Penn State backfield. Uh, What does Sean Clifford look like? He seemingly was fine at practice on Wednesday. He also wasn't facing a a live defense. So how is Sean Clifford moving back there? Do we see him involved early as a runner like we did against Michigan? Um, I'm not so sure we will, but what does that mean for the ground game if they try to get it going? Do you give it a go with Kevon Lee? Do you legitimately try to work him as a RB1 in this matchup, give him a couple early series to see if he can get churning that, to me, is really interesting. If if he's not the starter or if we see three or four running backs involved in the first quarter again, I think I'll be a little bit surprised. I, I feel like this is a moment here where you have an opportunity to, to get a longer look and, and, quite frankly, move the chains because he's been most effective at doing that. That's the most important thing right now. But Kevon Lee is itching to get an opportunity where he has kind of an elongated role from quarter one to quarter four and maybe this is that opportunity because if it's not, then I don't think it's coming this
0: season. Yeah, I mean, he, you're going to have a chance to run. I said the other day in the podcast, I think they will be able to run the ball. That's before we went so out too. to practice and three starters were, were missing from yeah. the offensive line. Yeah. Um. So maybe want to walk that one back a little bit, but I still see the potential to do so. Um. be curious to see how Noah Kane's health factors into that, if he's getting on the field a little bit more. It looked like last week they were planning not to play him um, and then all of a sudden, Lee gets hurt. Uh, Lovett has some struggles, and you and you're putting Noah Cain in the game. So, um, I I I would love to see it. I mean, I'd I'd love to see you roll with one guy, give him 20 carries, and see if he can crack the mythical 100 yard barrier that's avoided <laughs> Penn State all Jeez. year. Um, uh, and that's kind of where it's at right now. But you should should have an opportunity to run the ball. You're better up front than than the opposition, and you know you again, it's it's part of asserting your will, and and that's not just this game. It's about asserting your yourself as a as Penn State over Rutgers, as you try to do on the recruiting trail, as you try to do um, when you're comparing programs as a whole to everyone in the Northeast is sort of pound your chest about it. And Penn State hasn't been able to do it this year. What confidence do we have that they're going to do it on Saturday? I don't know. But you would think that that maybe gets going. And, and I'm not the guy that says maybe this is the week that it gets going. I think this is probably the week that it gets going. This is the week. This, this is, the week. is the week. But yeah. but, but I, I haven't said that all. It's, it's not like I'm coming out every week and say, you know what, this is going to be the day no, they have get not. this running. I'm. It's terrible. I don't. I don't think you trust it. So, uh, with a healthy offensive line, maybe 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 this is the week.
1: I already said I, I stopped saying this is the week when it, it wasn't the week against Illinois. I I retired making that call. Um, I just few put few like six now.
0: qualifiers in mind, so yeah. that's that's where <laughs> we're at right now.
1: All right, Sean. Well, I I think the other question is asserting yourself. Where is Penn State right now? How enthused will they be to show up to the stadium, get into this battle against Rutgers? I I know we've seen it in the past in this series. Last year, this this Rutgers team will come out and they will fight, but they haven't really had the weapons or the ability or the offensive firepower to make it a competition. But they've come out in these matchups and they've shown some spark, whereas Penn State – sometimes it feels like they got to get the second quarter, third quarter before they start to match the intensity, man, they got it. How do they answer the bell An emotional loss against Michigan? They had that emotional loss against Iowa. We saw that came out against Illinois. I think a lot of people, you know, they had this eerie feeling that we're going to watch Illinois part two play out uh, on Saturday in Beaver stadium. And and part of it is how is this team mentally going to handle things and how is its head coach handling things right now?
0: That's a great question. And and it's a legitimate uh, criticism, Based on what we saw from the Illinois game, I mean, you got to wonder, um, you you don't ever want to question effort or anything like that, but you got to wonder, you know, what are they up for? What are they playing for? and, And where are they at right now in their heads? Um, so you, you hope that they come out and maybe senior day gives them that spark. Maybe, you know, just uh, hearing what they've heard about themselves over the last couple of weeks, maybe that gives them that spark. So, but I think it's a legitimate criticism. I mean, you, you talk to coaches around the country and you see what, uh, what they say about Penn State. If Penn State wants to come out and play and, and be the team that's that's going head-to-head with Michigan and uh, Ohio State, then they can be that team. When they don't, they lose to Illinois. And that's, you know, that's quite a gulf in between there.
1: We have our predictions in a second, but if you know if he's not asleep back there, producer Lance Glenn going to chime in really quickly, give us a quick perspective uh, because Rutgers guy. Uh, I think I think our, our our listeners know that by now, and they've let you know how they feel about that. But it is Rutgers week. You, you've been quiet. You've been patient. What are your thoughts, realistically, about this Rutgers team that is heading to Happy Valley?
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, the board at Lions Two Four Seven has definitely let me know. Uh, their thoughts uh, on my Rutgers fandom, but no, um, you know, listening to what you guys say, uh, this Rutgers team, I agree with you, isn't going to really wow anyone offensively. Um, they they lack talent, um, at a lot of key positions, specifically on the offensive line. Uh, it's kind of been a piecemeal offensive line for most of the year. It's been better lately, um, but still not to a point where you're confident that it's one of the strengths of the team. Um, unfortunately, they lost probably their second best receiver against Wisconsin and Aaron Crutchank. Um. Not only does that hurt, obviously on offense, but it also hurts in the kick return game and and punt return game. Obviously, because he's one of the best kick returners in the country. Um, but it, it's it's going to be an uphill battle for for the Scarlet Knights uh, for sure. You know, I'm not a I'm not an overly optimistic Rutgers fan. You know, I'm not expecting Rutgers to go in there and and pull off a what. Granted, Penn State six and four to Rutgers hands would be a, a monumental upset if the Scarlet Knights were to win. I'm not expecting Rutgers to to go in there and do that. Um, I'm hoping it's close. I think it'll be closer than what the spread was when it came out, which I think was minus 19 or minus 20. I think it will be closer than that. Um, But, you know, like we've seen in many of these games in this um, matchup through the years, it's started out close, closer than you'd think. Penn State kind of pulls away in the second half and kind of wins more comfortably than the game started. Um, I think it'll kind of mirror what what those have been, and I, I definitely think the the lines the Nittany Lions will probably come out victorious. All right, definitely thinks the lines will come out victorious. Uh, I'm hoping, otherwise. Thinks, Trust yeah. me, I'm hoping yeah. otherwise. I, I you know, I, as a Rutgers fan, I I help you guys out obviously, but uh, you know, I got to stick with with my alma mater. Um, Tyler's been a little bit of a turncoat. But, uh, <laughs> Hey man, payche- paychecks, paychecks, will, paychecks will do that to you, man. Paychecks.
1: Will you guys want to get Don in,
0: in here way? and Bobby in here and just surround me with Rutgers <laughs> yeah. or get Tyler, um, get Tyler's wife in here. No.
1: Yeah. Uh, Lance. Thank you. That was your Rutgers minute. We look forward to hearing your next one in November, 2022. Um, Sean, it's prediction time and I'll start here. I'm going to go Penn state 24 Rutgers 10. I'm still not quite sure if I think Rutgers is going to generate a touchdown. I do have concerns about them in this matchup offensively in a lot of ways, Um, but I'm just not convinced that Penn State's ready to pile the points up on anybody. They haven't done that in this series. Again, I'll I'll go with Parker Washington having the banner day from a statistical standpoint on offense. I'm curious to see how Keandre Lambert-Smith bounces back from from a rough outing for him last week, and then defensively, uh, Arnold Ebikade. A, a, a fleeting uh, star here in Beaver Stadium, and I hope people enjoyed the flash. And I think it continues here against Rutgers, and and it's going to swing the game a bit early for them. Maybe another forced fumble kind of situation.
0: Where where was your prediction yesterday or Tuesday? Did it change much with the with what we saw practice on Wednesday night?
1: Um, I, I will say it, it gave me a little bit of pause. Um, mm-hmm. it, I just kind of the the vibe around. I do have questions of, about. Just where the buzz is right now, the team. I I don't know if this is like a placebo effect because where the program is right now, but I just wasn't feeling a lot of buzz on the field on the practice field on Wednesday. Um, but sometimes we feel a ton of buzz and the team falls flat on game day. So um I I, I was maybe tempted to put that margin to 21 or beyond, maybe go 31 to 10. I, I'm just uh, after reviewing the offensive struggles all week through some of my articles, I just can't I can't push them past 24 points right now because I do think Rutgers can play good defense, but I think Penn State will beat them deep. And if if Penn State can run the ball, maybe they get to th- – they probably do get into the 30s, but if, 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 if.
0: If if yeah, there's a lot of ifs, and and more right. so about the illnesses, and you know, not having Walker and Wallace would be a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Playing you know green offensive tackles and things like that. I have Penn State winning thirty to thirteen. Number one on that, um, Rutgers scored thirteen points against Michigan, thirteen points against Ohio State, thirteen points against <laughs> Michigan State, which is incredibly random. Um, but other than that, they scored seven against Northwestern, twenty in that win against Indiana, and three against Wisconsin two weeks ago in that thirty-eight. Obviously, an anomaly against Illinois Indiana last weekend um, in that big win that was heavily turnover aided, as Bobby Darren said. So I agree with you. I don't think the points will be um, you know much to, to to think about for for Rutgers here. But Penn State's defense should be in a in a good spot. It's a it's a matter of that offense putting it out there. I think they will be able to run the ball a little bit better. Um, obviously, all things considered, with with the guys out for the offensive linemen. Um, so I, I'm going 30 to, to 13 on uh, for in, in Penn State's favor here. I think they get a senior day win, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be one of those frustrating games and maybe opens up a little bit at the end.
1: Well, with all the midweek developments, you're going to be one of following lines 24 seven early and often on Saturday because we'll be out there with our binoculars in the press box and in Beaver Stadium trying to figure out who's available, who may not be available for the Nittany Lions going into this matchup more so than usual uh, up in question in that regard right now. Uh, We'll be back on Saturday with our post game podcast, breaking down whatever happens between Penn State and Rutgers. Okay, come out with a win. We're talking about a seven and four squad ready to play Michigan State, the Spartans facing Ohio State on Saturday. If they come out with a loss, we're going to have to really dig deep for the therapy session. Um, we'll find out on Saturday on behalf of Sean Fitz, our producer, Lance Glenn. I am Tyler Donahue, and this is the lions 24 seven podcast.
3: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old, whatever, or I can conquer it.